So today, we will continue our series on Galatians. Uh, this is a letter of St. Paul uh, to the Christians in a place called Galatia. This is, I believe, uh, the modern-day Turkey. Uh, and he wrote this strongly worded letter. This is a very different epistle compared to the others. Uh, he's, he wrote this letter because new believers in this location are being led astray by some Jewish Christians teaching a gospel that is different from what he originally preached. And so this letter is to confront, number one, those people, but also to correct uh, a grave mistake that they have done. And, and we call this, uh, you know, this whole series, No Other Gospel. And to correct that mistake, he definitively said, in, as, we have, as we have been learning, that there is no other gospel, uh, that the one that he preached to them is the true gospel and there's no other gospel to, to hear. Uh, and he defines it for us in, in chapter 1, very, 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 very quickly, dun palang sa salutation ng letter. And then he proves this by sharing his own testimony on how he received this good news directly from God and how in his visit in Jerusalem, uh, those closest to Jesus like Peter uh, and John and James, the brother of the Lord, affirmed his message and, and apostleship. So that's where we left off uh, about two weeks ago. If you remember, that was a happy meeting. It was a happy meeting because they were agreeing that they share the same gospel, that there's no distinction between what Peter was preaching and what Paul uh, was preaching. They share, they share the same gospel, although they go to different cultures, but they bring the same message. So this was a really good interaction between you know, two, uh, two apostles, so to speak. But interestingly, uh, the next interaction that we see in our text was not a happy one. It's, it's a very tension-filled uh, interaction. And if I'm going to imagine what's, what's happening here uh, in, in this uh, re uh, recollection of uh, Paul, basically, uh, Peter was enjoying salo-salo with, with Gentiles, uh, Gentile believers, but then there were Jewish believers uh, accusing him of having fellowship with people that he's not supposed to mingle with. And this is a big deal, and I will not get into it in the, into the sermon, but uh, the Jewish way of their mealtime habits is very, very different with that of a Gentile. They're not just, you know, your typical vegetarian. Na iba yung menu mo sa menu ko. It, the, the process and their, their eating habits are very, very different. So there were Jewish Christians telling Peter, hey, you're not supposed to you know, have fellowship with them. They, they eat uh, meat that we're not supposed to eat, things like that. Uh, and so uh, at first, Peter was able, able to defend his actions. If you look at Acts 11, he was able to explain why he was doing that. Okay? But it looks like, we don't see this in, in, in Acts, it looks like eventually he gave into the pressure and reverted back from this newfound freedom 
uh, in Christ. So what you will notice here in our text, Paul was not correcting Peter because he ate with the Gentiles. We need to be clear with that. Paul was not correcting Peter because he ate with the Gentiles. He was correcting Peter because he reverted back out of fear, out of criticism from the what Paul calls the circumcision, circumcision party. And Apostle Paul called what Peter did hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Have you been called a hip, hypocrite before? Have you been called, have you been accused of hypocrisy? I have. I have been called holier than thou. I have been called self-righteous. I have been accused to be a liberal or a legalist or both. <laughs> and at times, actually, the, the, the accusation is it's not true. It's, it's based on a false assumption of people uh, basing my actions from out of ignorance and basing my uh, you know, walk of faith out of ignorance as well. But you know what? In most cases, the accusation was accurate. It's accurate. It's true. I have acted hypocritically. I have been a hypocrite. I have walked and talked differently. I have uh, done things out of fear and criticism. I have been, uh, you know, I, I, I felt like I need, if, if I want to be accepted by a certain group, I acted uh, out of, not out of conviction, but out of, you know, fear. So if you acted differently on a Sunday compared to how you act on a Monday to Saturday, if you act different, if you're a different person inside your home and you're a different person outside, if you live a fragmented life, that in certain circle of friends, you're a different person, in your family, you're a different person, if you have a, a different social media personality, compared to who you really are. This message is for you. So our sermon today is the gospel for hypocrites. And here's the message I want for us to, uh, to understand in our text today, that Christians of all shapes, sizes, levels of maturity are susceptible to hypocrisy. And it's dangerous uh, both for the life of the messenger and those to hear it. It's coming from a heart that misunderstands God's grace. But there's hope for hypocrites like you and me. We find that hope in the gospel. So in that context, when I greet you, good morning, hypocrites, <laughs> I say that with love. <laughs> I say that to, to show us who we really are, but at the same time, discover our hope at the cross. All right? 
And my hope is that by looking at these three things that we see um, in, in, in our outline, we will look at three things, the danger of hypocrisy, the root of hypocrisy, and the cure for hypocrisy. And as we look at these three things, my, my prayer is that I will be able to encourage you to live transparently before God and before one another. So let's look at them one by one. What's the danger of hypocrisy? Well, first, the danger of hypocrisy is no one is immune to it. No one is immune to it. Not even the OG disciple, Peter. That's why very interestingly, Paul uses, not Simon, but he uses Cephas. Ironically, Cephas means the rock. This, the rock, is succumbing to pressures outside of him. So let me read again verse 11 and 12. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This was very public before, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, meaning uh, allegedly disciples of James, before they arrived uh, to Antioch, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So keep in mind, this is a letter to the Galatians, right? Uh, Paul was recalling this confrontation because one of the attacks thrown uh, to him, against him, is that he is not a legitimate apostle, right? The words of Peter are, are, has more weight than, than, than Paul, that his message is very different from, from Peter. So you, you Galatians, sabi ng mga circumcision party, you Galatians should believe Peter because he's the legitimate one. Don't believe Paul. He's the liberal. Don't, don't think about him. And these Jewish false teachers possibly referred to what happened in Antioch. Itong, itong sinasabi ni, ni, ni Paul. And, and they were referring to this uh, encounter. They might even said, well, remember that time where when Peter was uh, in Antioch, but he was not mingling with, with the Gentiles. Therefore, Peter's action affirms our message, yung circumcision party. That for Gentiles to be truly Christians, for Gentiles to have fellowship with, with Jewish Christians, they must follow also Jewish customs. That's a very strong, you know, a challenge to what Paul was speaking. And so Paul's response was, in this recollection, was this. <clears throat> yes, Peter withdrew from fellowshipping with the Gentiles, but that does not make my message wrong. It makes Peter a hypocrite. <laughs> Amazing how he would say this. I, I would imagine he would mention these things. It doesn't make the gospel that I preach to you wrong. It makes Peter wrong. It makes him a hypocrite for doing such a thing. That's why I rebuked him. Can you imagine? Can you, can you sense the boldness of Apostle Paul here? Like he was not beating around the bush. 
He was not passive-aggressive like many Filipinos are. <laughs> he was not non-confrontational like many Filipinos are. He did not even care if feelings get hurt. I hope you see that wholeness to him. And, and that wholeness, uh, you know, we, we can consider that integrity. There's, there's an integrity to him. And we will talk about where that, will, that is coming from in a bit. So if Peter, keep in mind, Peter is you know, one of the closest to the Lord, someone who spent time with Jesus can fall into this sin, no one, none of us is immune to it. None of us is immune to hypocrisy. Second, it's dangerous because it's not only encompassing, everyone can get it, it's highly contagious. Highly contagious. Look at verse 13. So this was uh, what Peter was doing. Verse 13 says, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. Damay-damay na. So that even, and this is very personal, I think, kay, kay Paul, even Barnabas was led astray by, this, by their hypocrisy. Barnabas, a ministry partner of Paul. He was a highly encouraging guy for the advancement of the gospel. But he was also led astray by this hypocrisy. He also acted hypocritically. You know, a crucial part of this story <clears throat> by Paul is that this is happening in a place called Antioch. And this is very, you know, a, a crucial time in, in, in Christian history, in church history, because it was there in Antioch that a, a more diverse community of believers was forming. This was the time where, you know, Jews and Gentiles are becoming Christians. And at first, they don't know what to do with it. Kasi when they went to Antioch, they were just preaching yung, yung mga coming from the diaspora. They were preaching only to the Jews. They were looking at the community. Sino ba yung mga Jews dito? Sige, let's preach the gospel to them. But then, there were a group that also preached the gospel to the Greeks. And they believed Jesus. They believed the gospel. They became Christians. And they, saw, they said, wow, what's going on? There, there must be something interesting here. And what, while that was doing, of course, you know, many Jews were confused because how can we have fellowship with the Gentiles? They're, they're very different people than us. But as Peter explained his experience with a Gentile believer named Cornelius, and you can see this in Acts 10, you know, people were convinced that God is really calling the Gentiles into salvation. So there's no problem, right? They were enjoying fellowship among believers, whether Jews or Gentiles together, even though the Jewish mealtime customs, their, uh, their, their laws are very different. They were enjoying salo-salo together. But then, Peter started not joining the Gentile table. 
the next salo-salo, Peter does not join again. The next salo-salo, the Gentiles notice, wow, we see Peter, but he's just, you know, sitting with his own crowd. And suddenly, Barnabas is doing the same thing. The following salo-salo, no Jew was at the Gentile table. And the Gentiles are confused. They, they don't know what's going on. Can you imagine with me, you know, what's, what kind of uh, vibe this, this is creating? It's, it's creating some tension in that congregation. You know, people are entering into the gathering. Their guards are up. They, are, they, they, they feel like they're walking around landmines. At least for the Gentiles, church no longer felt safe. And it's very likely that some Gentiles were convinced, hey, if, if Peter will be, always be like this, if he will not have fellowship with us, maybe he's right. Maybe it, the only way for us to have fellowship with, with, with Peter and these Jews, maybe we have to really be circumcised. And it's very likely that Gentiles were convinced to go through circumcision out of guilt or fear. In their minds, they might be saying, maybe we're really not Christians. Maybe we need to be more like them for us to really be saved. You know, Peter was not just guilty of a bad social behavior. His actions led people to abandon the gospel, to depend on empty acts of righteousness that is motivated by guilt, by fear. And that's why Paul had to rebuke Peter because his actions it's not just socially impolite. That's not the point. His actions were misaligned to what he teaches. That's why in verse 14, you know, Paul says their conduct was not in line, was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That's how dangerous hypocrisy is. Friends, let me ask you, are you doing Christian discipline out of guilt? Are you trying to finish the whole Bible because if you don't finish the whole Bible in one year, you don't feel like you're in the in crowd? Are you doing them because if you do not do them, you feel like you do not belong? Do you dread entering into Christian gatherings because you feel like you are not good enough? Friends, you may have been in infected by hypocrisy. And if you, catch, if you catch it, you might infect others as well. That's why Paul had to cut this to rebuke the source 
if you catch it, take heart. There's a cure for that. And we'll get to that in a bit. So again, Peter's action in Antioch was not a reflection of the true gospel. It was actually a misunderstanding of God's grace. And that's what I believe is the root of hypocrisy. And this is where we go to point number two. The root of hypocrisy, the root of hypocrisy <clears throat> is a misunderstanding of the gospel. A misunderstanding of God's grace. And to explain that, Paul uses a legal term. A legal term. A term that all Christians must learn and understand. Okay? I, I really believe that this is a term that all of us must understand and believe. That term is justification. Justification. Let me read verse 15 to, uh, to 18. We ourselves are Jews by, by birth, not, by, not gentle sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Absolutely not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Notice here, in this text, in this passage, he uses the word justified four times. So if Paul was just correcting Peter's eating habits, he will not talk about justification. He will not talk about justification by faith alone. He will talk about behavior. He will talk about, you know, community. But Paul was talking about justification. And here, to be justified means to be declared righteous in the sight of God. It's a legal term. It, it's like a criminal standing in front of a judge, and the judge acquits this criminal of all his charges. You are justified. What Paul is trying to drive here, drive at here, for the Galatian believers is this. If Peter, a Jew, was not justified before God just because he followed the law, what makes you think that you Gentile will be justified when you follow Jewish customs? Let me repeat that. Ito yung, ito yung sinasabi dito ni, ni Paul kay, sa, sa, sa gentle believers by recalling this in, encounter. If Peter, which is a Jew, was not justified before God just because he followed the law, what makes you think that you, a Gentile, will be justified before God when you follow Jewish customs? You know, this is a very important point that I hope that we will not miss out. 
You know, verses 15 to 18 and even verse 21 is basically the core message of Galatians. Many, many commentaries, many theologians believe that this is so. This is the thesis statement of the whole Galatian letter. That to be justified before God is by faith in Jesus alone. We are justified in the sight of God by faith in Jesus alone, nothing more, nothing less. And if we can attain righteousness by fulfilling the law, Paul says, the crucifixion is pointless. It's pointless for Jesus to die on the cross if there's another way. If you can be justified by fulfilling all the, the merits of the law, Jesus did not have to die on the cross. That's the whole point of what Paul is trying to drive at here. And yet, people still try to save themselves in, in one sense by, for Gentiles to look more like uh, Jewish people through circumcision, following customs. In the other sense, for Jewish people to convince others to become more like them. But because the truth is no one can fully and completely obey God, we try our best to act as if we are obeying God. We try our best to play act, and, and that's the, the, the essence of being a hypocrite, to act as if it's a role to play. Friends, it's a misunderstanding of God's grace. It's a misunderstanding of God's grace to say that God's grace is only possible when you are fulfilling the law. That God's, God is gracious to you as long as you're obedient. God looks to you with favor only as far as you are obeying the law or you are fully obedient. It's also a misunderstanding of God's grace to say that God's grace gives you the freedom to do anything you want, regardless of the consequences. Brothers and sisters, if we misunderstand the grace of God, you will live the rest of your life trying to fill in the gaps you will continue with your play acting, hoping that by acting like you are good enough, you will feel justified. You know what? You will try to be your own savior. That's the root of hypocrisy. So what is our hope then? What is our cure? If, our, if we are not immune to it, if the problem is within our heart, a misunderstanding of God's grace in, in either ways, how can we be cured from this hypocrisy? How can we be 
transparent. Well, the popular approach that we see in our world today is self-discovery. Self-discovery. All you need to do is to show your true colors. You need to just become your authentic self. You just need to find your true self. Or in the words of Queen Elsa in Frozen, just let it go. Let it go. If you can't hold it back anymore, just let it go. While all these popular advice on self-discovery sounds nice, and sadly, we fall into this trap as well that all we need to do is, you know, be, be authentic, as authentic as we can be. I find this approach very problematic. Number one, it assumes that the answer is within yourself. Number two, it assumes that you have the capacity to find it. Number three, it assumes that what you will discover is correct. Number four, it assumes that you will like what you will discover. Therefore, it will make you happy. That's the popular approach. That's a popular advice. But Apostle Paul is not talking about self-discovery here. He's not asking us to, to do some eat, pray, love stuff. Apostle Paul gives us another way. You know what his way is? He places himself at the mercy of a holy, righteous God. And so he goes back again of, on his testimony. He, goes, he uses the word I again in verse 19 and 20. Verse 19, let me read again. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He places himself under the mercy of God's law. And for Paul, the law was only effective in showing his condemnation before God. Because he is guilty before a holy God, he deserves righteous condemnation. And this is coming from a guy that knows the Old Testament, that learns, has learned it well. He is a Pharisee of a Pharisee. But he says, what the law has been successful in my life is that I stand condemned before a holy, righteous God. And so because he is condemned before a holy, righteous God, what he deserves is capital punishment, right? And so he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, if you want to memorize Bible verses, I really pray that please include Galatians 2.20. Please memorize this. Recite it. 
when, when, you, when you doubt your assurance of salvation, recite it, memorize it, put this on your list. I have been crucified with Christ. Why did Paul say that? Keep in mind, Paul did not say, I have been suffering with Christ. Okay? This is very important. Huh? He did not say, and he did not mean, I have been suffering with Christ. Kasi ganun na ang notion natin of crucifixion now. If I'm carrying the cross, I'm suffering. Okay? Although that's true, there's a, you know, there's a suffering component of carrying the cross. That's not what Paul is saying here. He is saying, I have been crucified with Christ. The crucifixion to the minds of first century people is still viewed as a Roman capital punishment. You don't long for that. As far as society is concerned, no good person is crucified. Those who are crucified are the worst of the worst. They are worthless criminals. The world is better off without them. That's why, you know, Jesus on the cross, we call that a, a scandal because there, that's the only time in, in history where a fully innocent man was crucified. And so where, when you're on the cross, and this is the, the image that Paul is, is uh, driving at here, when you're on the cross, it's pointless to defend your honor. No one on the cross is defending their own honor. Because frankly, when you're crucified, you have no honor to defend. It's pointless. It's pointless to be a hypocrite when you're on the cross. To be crucified is to die in shame. You slowly die, fully exposed in public, with the intention that you are blotted out from history. And so, even though that's the, you know, that's the essence of a Roman capital punishment, interestingly, when, and I hope you, you see the tone here, when Paul uses these words, he uses them not in shame, but in pride. He is proud to be crucified with Christ. It's as if that's the best thing that ever happened to him. And for Paul to say that he is crucified with Christ, this is a high-performing person, a successful person. He has the degree to back it up, the track record to back it up. For him to say that he is crucified with Christ, he meant that that's where he belongs. That's where he belongs. And if you trust in Jesus, all your sin, including what you think are your accomplishments, the good things, 
all your bad intentions, all your good intentions, all your best intentions, Paul is saying, all of them are placed on the cross. There's nothing else to prove. Pastor, what does that have to do with the cure to our hypocrisy? Well, if you have been righteously condemned by God and that condemnation was placed on Jesus Christ, Galatians 2.20 says, He loved me and gave himself for me. If that happened, if you no longer live and only Christ lives in you, can anybody or anything truly hurt you? Can ridicule from friends, criticisms from loved ones really hurt you? When they say you are a hypocrite, can, really, can that really hurt you when you're crucified on the cross? When you know that you no longer live, only Christ lives in you, you can say, friend, you call me a hypocrite, I tell you I'm far worse than you think but I'm still deeply loved by my Savior. If you no longer live and Christ lives in you, can physical illnesses truly hurt you? Can terminal illnesses hurt you? Can death hurt you? If you live in Christ, no. All it does is to bring you closer to the arms of your Savior. And if you are fully known and fully loved, fully accepted by God because of Jesus Christ, is there anything else to prove in the world? Will gain, gaining riches of the world give you anything that you do not already have in Christ? Will gaining the acceptance from friends give you the same sense of acceptance that God has graciously given you because of Christ? Is there anything else to prove? If you have been accepted, justified by God because of Jesus. Friends, Peter and the OG disciple needed to hear this good news again. We need to hear this good news. There is no need to do some play acting. There is no need to, to think and act that you are good enough. Friends, you don't have to live a fragmented life. You don't have to show a one personality in, in the church and one personality outside the church. You don't have to live fragmented lives because Christ makes us whole. We can live for him. Let me quote uh, Alan Noble. He, he wrote a book uh, called You Are Not Your Own. A proper understanding of our personhood requires that we, to rec uh, sorry, let me repeat. A proper understanding of our personhood requires that we recognize that we are not our own. At our core, 
we belong to Christ. And to belong to Christ is to find our existence in His grace, to live transparently before God. As one of our favorite hymns here, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home. Here, in the power of Christ, I stand. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you as hypocrites. This is true. This is who we are. And you love us the same. You accept us in light of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, teach us to live transparently before you, not because we have earned it, but because Christ is sufficient. His life and death and resurrection is enough to justify us in your sight. May we live transparently before you and before one another. In Christ's name, amen.